This is your host, Terry Noland, and this is your community. Come on in, grab a seat, and strap in. Hello, my podcast friends. I am so excited for the episode this week because I have a very special guest and friend that is coming on to talk about her journey and what she went through, what she came to understand and what she came to know through her journey towards aligning with the science of reading. I am so honored, so privileged to have as my guest today, Jeannie Shaw. Welcome, Jeannie. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. It's a privilege and honor to be here with you today. Well, Jeannie, I know that first and foremost, you are a listener of the podcast. I got to give you props and kudos and credit for being on this journey with us together. Yes, I absolutely adore your podcast. I say it's like Tuesdays with Terry, right? I have always loved Mitch Album and his work with Tuesdays with Maury. And it's now like Tuesdays with Terry. And so you're my jam in the morning and it's great. Well, Jeannie, I love that. You give me oomph under my wings. And today I know that you are going to get some oomph under the wings of some of our listeners that might be in a position at a place where you were. But before we get there, let me introduce you just a little bit. Jeannie has been a public school educator in Wisconsin for 33 and a half years. That half is important. We'll talk about it. And she has taught third, fifth, sixth, and seventh grades with a focus in literacy and as a reading specialist, literacy coach, and interventionist for students in grades K to nine. She is now doing literacy consulting. And Jeannie, I think it's important to start with your journey. 33 and a half years, that is a long time. It is a long time. It's amazing how quickly time goes too, right? It seems like yesterday that I walked into my first classroom and sat down on that empty desk and I thought, hmm, this is my job and I get to teach children. And that was 33.5 years ago when I was a sixth grade teacher in Northern Gibraltar area schools. Yeah, it goes by so fast, doesn't it? It certainly does. Now, when you started out, did you feel like you were equipped and fully knowledgeable with what you needed to do in order to teach literacy, teach reading, teach ELA? Jeannie, did you come in the classroom knowing full well what to do? I thought about that. And I remember when I got my first job, right, it was sixth grade, sixth grade teacher. And I taught science, social studies with a focus on literacy. And as a student teacher, I had opportunity in third grade and then fifth grade. And so I applied everywhere. And when I got the job in sixth grade, I was like, I'm so glad it's sixth grade because I really don't think I know how to teach a child to read. And at least they're in middle school and I can teach literacy at a higher level because we're no longer learning to read, but reading to learn and use those skills at higher cognitive levels. And so I was grateful that I landed in that spot because I didn't think I was equipped even 33.5 years ago coming out of college to teach a kid to read. So when you got in that sixth grade classroom, were you a little bit shocked that some of your students maybe couldn't even decode language? Was that a shock for you? Or were you in a school and in a place where most all of the kids were at grade level? I think reflecting back, the kids that I was working with, majority were able to read and spell at grade level. And I think 
It's due to the fact that they had instructors in kindergarten and first grade that came through the teacher's college and actually taught kids to read, you know, old school teachers. And so I did not get face to face with disparity of reading achievement at that time. And so therefore, I was 21 years old and whole language just was all the rave, right? And as a young teacher, I love the idea of surrounding kids with books and having them read and readers workshop and writers workshop. And Nancy Atwell in the middle read that cover to cover, which led me to Linda Reef, which led me to Reggie Routman and Lucy Calkins, of course. I was a workshop teacher at that level in sixth grade. So Tell me more about that. Doing that model, this whole language approach, do you feel like you were getting the results that you wanted? At that time, right, we did have this screening measures that we were using and we weren't getting a really around data. We weren't even really standards-based instruction. So was I getting kids to read and write and learn? Yeah, I was probably working under this illusion that they were growing because there wasn't data in front of us to prove that they weren't. I think that's a really important point. The fact of no way to assess, the data wasn't there, you know, things were good at the end of the day and then you moved on. Yeah, and these kids wrote these powerful stories and they loved to write. And obviously there were kids that, that struggled. I just didn't see them. Jeannie, why do you think you didn't see them? Because I didn't have the knowledge to know what I should see. Ah, that's powerful. You didn't know what you didn't know. So let's fast forward. Well, I'm already hearing from you, Jeannie, that you cared about your own professional learning and growth. You weren't waiting for a school to tell you what to do. You actually were out there. This is a leadership principle I have to pull out right here, is that you're committed to learning and growth. So obviously, there was some point in this 33 and a half year journey that your knowledge started to grow and expand and take us down that path. Well, I left my school that I was first hired in as a sixth grade teacher, and I came into my current school that I retired from, and I was hired as a fifth grade teacher. And I was still very much a workshop model teacher. And I continued to grow in my profession, reading everything that I possibly could get my hands on from Debbie Miller to more Lucy Calkins and Linda Reeve and the workshop model. Anyways, I continued that journey. And then, of course, everybody has their defining moment. And I had the opportunity of this restructuring in our district to move down to third grade. And as a third grade teacher at that time, there was still that precipice of still learning to read. And at that time, I started having my own children. And I think as you interview people and talk to people, they all have their defining moments. And a lot of it is attached to perhaps an experience they had in the classroom, or maybe it was their own children. And I was in third grade at that time, and we were in the middle of the Reading First initiative, actually. But I was coming into it a little bit late because I was at the fifth grade and I really didn't understand what the initiative meant and what was happening in the lower levels. So there was this parent of a very bright but struggling third grade reader that was asked to attend this team meeting. And at the team meeting, the parent was told by the team 
that their third grader, this daughter, had a Dibble score that was way below benchmark and possibly should be considered for special education. And that parent responded with the message that her child was more than a label, that she was bright and had a high vocabulary and strong verbal reasoning, and that she was just really young and that she had read to her every night and that everything, that there really isn't a problem, that she just needed more time. And that 20-year veteran balanced literacy whole language teacher said, yeah, you're right. The student is very bright and added on that she's young and she's got a spring birthday and really just needed more time. And so the teacher validated that parent and the parent validated that teacher. And they walked away from that meeting with the decision that this child just keep going. And the irony is that parent was me and that child was mine and the teacher was me. Deanie, you were in the moment. You became the parent in the situation and the viewpoint shifted just a little bit, it sounds like. I was my own daughter's third grade teacher and I didn't see what I needed to see because I didn't have the knowledge of what I should look for. And when I was reading a recent Tim Shanahan post or blog, he had this line that kind of resonated with me because I thought about how I was in that space. And cognitive psychologists have explained how human beings fool themselves looking at positive evidence and rationalizing data we don't want to accept. And so what I was doing as a parent and what I was doing as a teacher is rationalizing why my daughter was having her own struggles. But underneath it, I knew that there was something going on and I thought it was this thing called dyslexia. But at that time, she was progressing. And so that little intuition that tells, like, something's not right, it just moved away from me a little bit because she did start responding and showing grade level achievement scores on assessments. And so when my own daughter moved into middle school and then I moved up to middle school in seventh grade, when she was doing her screening assessments, she was at or above grade level on all of the assessments. However, I was a seventh grade English language arts teacher at that time. And basically when I moved to that space, I shifted to a structured literacy environment in the seventh grade English language arts. And that's when I leaned into a national board certification and got certified early adolescent English and really approached things from a structured approach in reading and writing in the middle school. And then we started getting more and more kids in the middle school that started to struggle. The special ed director actually reached out to me and said, I have a dyslexia training. Are you interested? And I'm like, heck yeah. Like, I, I want to go. I was at the time looking into getting trained myself because I knew there was more that I didn't know because I was stuck in this echo chamber of this balanced literacy, whole language world. And there wasn't this thing out there called social media we're in a tip of your finger, you get all this information. And so you kind of seek it out for yourself. And I started seeking and sure enough, I got trained and I got my first training. It was a week in the summertime and it was IMSE training was my first one I went to, which most people step into. And at that time, I'm like, it was just earth shattering to me, quite frankly. I thought this is how we're supposed to be teaching our children. And this is how my daughter should have been taught to read. And it was about two years later, my daughter still continued to function fine. But then when she got into high school, the world dropped out and it became such a traditional approach of assessment 
but she started to really struggle. And I started researching a little bit more about dyslexia and what I can do as a parent to get my daughter identified. What I had learned through my research is I just needed to go to my pediatrician and say, I would like a referral for a neuropsych. And I had conversations with my daughter and I went to the pediatrician and she kind of laughed at me. But I ended up getting the referral and I got the diagnosis and she definitely had that. But my journey into evidence-based practices as a classroom teacher and as an interventionist really began with that first training at IMSI. And your story, honestly, is so parallel to so many people out there. They have that personal connection. You were your daughter's teacher in third grade. So you were the teacher, but you were the parent. And I always say, it's like the little hairs on the back of your neck stand up. It's like, okay, something's going on, but I'm not quite sure what's going on. You didn't have the knowledge at that point. And so that's what puts you on the path toward discovery and learning more. Jeannie, I can't tell you the number of people I've come in contact with. That's how they came to know what the research says about effective instruction in reading. That also makes me think of, here we are at this point, your daughter is in high school, diagnosed with dyslexia. You're on your pathway. What did it do at this moment for you as so the again, teacher, you know, because I'm transform what you were doing you know, in the classroom. Hungry for knowledge. Um, I constantly was diving into more and more in the science of reading and and getting whatever I could get on on the science. Where I was sitting in a middle school, um, getting this knowledge can really, really study the impact of our and the fact that couldn't read in the middle school and were struggling the social and emotional trauma of not reading. And at the time, and she was, you know, dealing with depression and, you know, self-harm behavior and telling me more kids self-harm. And you know, so as a freshman, two years later, I behaviors. And it had all to do with the cloak of shame, right? That they have felt for so long because they were bright, bright, bright kids. So I knew that I had to get, I had to do something for these. I had to start being their voice. So any moment I tried, right? I tried to say, hey, look at this training and hey, I'm doing this and hey, I'm doing that. But no one would really listen. And Jeannie, I want to dig into that. Because here you are, you're learning, you are on this pathway, and you are starting to figure things out. And here's something that I heard in your journey that is different now with your middle school students than when you first started your journey. You are starting to see the connection between self-efficacy, between self-esteem, who I am as an individual and as a person with your group of students that are in front of you right now than the group of students that you originally started with. Since you didn't have that knowledge, you didn't make those connections early on. And here you are starting to see all of this in the connections. And I say all the time, Jeannie, you started to have the keys to the kingdom. but Nobody wanted to take part in in receiving those keys, did they? Um, we're in their own echo chambers of balanced literacy. Um, in a small district, um, a community of about ten thousand people. 
we have one K2 building, one three five building, one middle school and one high school. So the reality was there just were a few people in position of influence in my district. So I just, I just had to try to get a couple to kind of just lean into possibly what else could be out there. And I, I just kept getting stonewalled and I literally reached a point where I, I, for a meeting for the superintendent and I said, when is enough enough? Like, when are we going to start looking at what's happening to our kids and change how we're teaching them to read? And it kind of went nowhere. And I, I realized at that moment that I was not in a position of influence and I had to change direction. I had to leverage change by finding other people that would participate with me. And I started talking to parents. And I started saying, there were a few parents in our community that were also frustrated about their kids and their dyslexia diagnosis and not being heard. And so I surrendered out to parents and said, you need to start sharing your voice. You need to start coming to board meetings. You need to start talking to special ed directors. And because of those voices of our parents, people in position of influence, the literacy district, started hearing, realizing, hmm, maybe we still have to have this conversation. But it still knew that I needed another, I needed to see a leader in the building that could be the voice that perhaps I wasn't given. Um, knew that, again, Pixel says, right, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And I knew there was one particular teacher in our district that we had a relationship with, and I felt like she was in a position for leadership. And I'll never forget this. I reached out to her, and I said, I need to talk to you. And I, I took that walk from my building to her building, and we sat down together, and I owned everything that I possibly could have said or said that came her way because it's a small community. I shared my story my own vulnerability as a teacher, as a parent, my daughter and my daughter's journey in the journey of all these other kids. And she's like, huh. and at that point in time, because I kind of leaned into her and created this partnership with her and started giving her that leverage of, of leadership, things started to shift in our district. And it wasn't really until that moment where I went over and I just had that heart to heart with her. And Jeannie, once again, this is a podcast all about literacy leadership. So many leader moves right here that you made. And one of those leader moves that I'm hearing that came from you was you stepped out in courage. It doesn't mean that you weren't fearful because especially in a small community, I'm in a small community, same thing, two elementary schools, a middle school, a high school, like Everybody knows what you had for lunch that day. <laughs> yeah. So you are in this situation of if you step out in courage in front of that superintendent or that school board, these are also the people that you are involved in the community with and see in the grocery store. And that doesn't mean it's not a very fearful situation that you could be afraid of, you know, am I going to lose my job? What does this mean for my child? Did those thoughts go through your mind? hundred percent. I'm like, okay, if word gets out that I am having these communications, but I just never, I never led with that fear. 
act. I just led with, again, Brene Brown, right? Choose courage over comfort, right? Choose what's hard over fast and easy. And I knew this was very courageous and it was hard and I was risking, but I felt like I had to do something for these children in our district because they deserved a, a right to learn to read and not have that social emotional trauma of not knowing how to read. And I, had, I needed somebody to come along the journey with me and I had to empower other people who had a voice that maybe perhaps I didn't. Well, that was the other leader move I was going to pull out here is that you surrounded yourself with other people. Great leaders know they can't do it alone. You have to surround yourself. And so that's where you've got to go out and you've got to ask questions and you've got to tap in to other people. You mentioned the walk from one building to the next on the day that you went and met with that individual. Jenny, I bet you could even tell me what type of day it was, if it was sunny or if it was rainy. It's cloudy. Yeah, tell me, what type of day was it? It was our hands day, and I'm like, I, I just need to talk and, and share. And I knew she was like not sure of what my intention was, and I just said, I, I just need to talk to you. And I walked over and it was a cloudy day. It was a Friday in March. It was the end of a, of a quarter. And I just sat down and I just said, first, I apologize profusely because it is a small community. And I know she probably heard. I said, did you ever hear something that I may have said? And she's like, yep. Yeah. And I said, yep, I said that. I own it. 100%. Because I just felt like I was at my last hope, you know, trying to get these kids some help. And I think what happened was I kind of realized that I wasn't getting the support I needed, so I had to work through others and I had to empower her. And, and it was a defining moment, I think, in our relationship and our journey because as I was leaving, as I retired and walked out the door, I came back and I had a conversation with her, like, what was that moment? Why did that shift in our journeys together? And she's like, your story, your story with your daughter. She's like, I knew all along that something wasn't right. Like what we were teaching kids to guess at words wasn't right. So it was in her too. She just also needed that opportunity to be empowered and get knowledge. And she's like, then you sent that book and then you sent that podcast. And then you said, hey, what about this training? Later, move. Later move. I need to shout the alert. My goodness, Jeannie. I'm just thinking about you say to yourself that you uh, didn't have influence. And so maybe with the superintendent in that moment, it wasn't an influential moment. But here's what I am hearing from you. And I need our listeners to hear from your journey. You didn't let that defeat you when you didn't get anywhere with the superintendent. You didn't let that stop your journey. You said, okay, no worries. I'm just going to shift paths. I'm going to create an established relationship with someone that I know. And actually, Jeannie, what you did for her is you provided a model for her. You exposed something to her that she was thinking herself, but couldn't articulate. And so uh, listeners, you have to hear this. Don't let courage stop you. Don't let a no stop you. Kids' lives are on the line here. Kids' lives are on the line. All right, let's continue on in this journey. And you are now retired. And in fact, you've only been retired, what, a month? January 13th. January 13th. And we are now heading into the early part of March here. So 
my goodness, this is brand new. And so I mentioned at the beginning, we were going to talk about that half year. Jeannie, why didn't you stick it out to the end of the year? That's a really, really good question. In Wisconsin, you can retire at 55 or earlier, you can retire at 57. And I really was excited about where our district was moving. I, as a matter of fact, had a conversation with a parent so excited her son's in third grade about the instruction that her son is getting and so grateful that our school district is going this route. And I was really, really, really excited about this opportunity to be part of this shift. But in all reality, I think the more that I learned and the more that I grew in my knowledge as an educator and my knowledge in leadership, the leadership lid just got smaller and smaller and tighter and tighter. And my teaching and coaching role didn't evolve like I was evolving. And no longer was I in a position where I could fulfill my life's mission and vision for myself. I'm at the point where I just wanted to inspire and support teachers in, in their growth into evidence-based practices. Yet I wasn't in position to do that in my own school. You mentioned the law of the lid that comes from John Maxwell, where he talks about the fact that when you have grown so much as an individual, that you are bumping up against the own growth of the positional person above you and you can't spread your wings. And exactly. yeah. And you know what? That in my mind also as we are talking about literacy leadership, many of you listeners may be in that same situation. And of course, Jeannie is in a place right now where she was coming up on retirement and all of the pieces and parts fell into place for her. However, if we are going to make moves as a nation, you've got to do those hard questions and say, have I hit the lid where I am in this school or district? And right. I mean, I hit that lid and there's that whole idea. And I know you talked about this in your previous podcast about the law of buy-in, right? And the whole idea of buying into you. And I knew as a leader that my success was going to be measured actually by the ability to take people with me in that journey. And I was not put in a position where I could take anybody with me. And I knew that if I really wanted to change kids' lives and use my crystallized knowledge to influence others, I had to put myself in another space where I could do that. Well, tell me what that space is. Oh, well, I'm currently working for 95% group as a consultant, and I'm also doing some work with CORE as well, the Consortium of Reading Excellence. So I'm an independent contractor and kind of just getting my feet wet in all of this space because I've been in a classroom for 33 years. My morning commute has been a five-minute commute where my idea of a morning rush is getting past the silver sneakers from the YMCA to school. And so now I'm going into this space of discomfort every single day and having to overcome myself every single day in this traveling and meeting teachers. But what I love about, most importantly, about what I'm doing is being in the humanity of the work. I, I love all the amazing teachers that are doing this hard, hard work in some of the most difficult circumstances. And, and trying to give, that bring them value and, and give them, you know, some of that inspiration that they can keep going. 
And Jeannie, I think for you, because you've lived this life, you've got the personal firsthand knowledge as the teacher, as the parent, as the one trying to make big moves somewhere, that you've just got a story and a journey that people can relate to. That's why you needed to spread your wings and bring other people along. I see it in you. Yeah, you know, and I want to continue, you know, just serving at a higher level and put myself again in environments which will continue to push me and and continue to make me grow at at, at deeper and higher levels. Jeannie, what would be the one one thing that you've learned about literacy leadership in your 33 and a half year journey? What's the one thing that sticks out for you the most? You have to live in your integrity. It takes a lot of courage and persistence and grit because moving the Titanic of this, this literacy work that we're in is slow work. And right now in, in Wisconsin, work is hard and trying to shift our state and the way we're doing it is one teacher at a time, organically bringing the science to them when they're ready and open to hear it. You use that word integrity. And I think that you had that personal reckoning that you had to deal with when you did learn that, oh my goodness, there actually is a scientifically based, founded, proven method to teach our children how the code of our language works, how comprehension works, and this personal reckoning that you had to deal with. And your integrity said, give up what I used to believe and stand in my integrity. I think so often we're seeing examples of people saying, I'm not willing to give up what I used to believe. Would you agree with that, Jeannie? I think it's kind of crazy, like the human condition, right? You're just so uncomfortable with discomfort. I love this one quote, when we are incompetent, we tend to overestimate our competence and see little reason to change. And again, we don't see that we need to change because we don't realize our own level of competence. Um, I also want to add into my last environment. I did have all this knowledge and I was working with some of the hardest kids and they were growing and it was a beautiful thing. But I also knew there was so much more than teaching a kid to read. It's called the systems and structures in which we are placed upon and as educators. And it's great to have this evidence and this knowledge and teaching, you know, structured literacy. But if you're not in an environment that has database discussions around the data, you're not in an environment where you have a schedule that supports intensified instruction for the kids that need it. And then you're not in an environment where people are open to rethinking their current system instruction. Well, then you're not, I wasn't living in my own integrity. I, I wasn't living in a space that I could live in. Oh my goodness. Beautiful point. Absolutely. Because we know that literacy transformation doesn't just happen because of teacher knowledge. Teacher knowledge is critical. It is absolutely fundamental. However, those systems, those structures that are in place can be crippling if they don't support that growth and development of teacher knowledge. You just nailed that. Jeannie, 
Any final thing that you would say to someone on this journey? You're 33 and a half years in and and you're still going. Somebody that's at year two, year three, whatever it is, what are your words of wisdom? Well, you know, teachers that I work with in Wisconsin that are gaining this knowledge by themselves and they always say, well, I'm just going to shut my door, you know, and do what's best for kids. And they try to find the courage to find other people that will take the journey with you and find the courage to um, enlist help wherever you can. And if it's parents' voices, if it's school board members, you know, it's the work we need to do because our kids' lives are dependent upon us getting it right. Well, and like I said, you're a model for that because it's exactly what you did. Jeannie, I am so thrilled with our conversation today. You have pulled out so many different leadership moves, leadership principles, characteristics that we talk about all the time. Your life embodies that. So Jeannie, you are someone that I talk about all the time. I want you to continue to lead large in literacy. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Terry, for having me here with one of your most precious Tuesdays. Oh, and Jeannie, then you'll get to listen to yourself on a Tuesday. Love it. Thanks so much, friends. We'll be with you next week. Thank you for going on the journey today. Thank you for being present. Thank you for continuing to grow and learn. If we are going to make an impact on education, create significance in the lives of our students, we need you. If you want to learn more about Learning Ally, visit us at learningally.org and be a part of a transformational community.